Um, and so tonight we're wrapping up this, this series on uh, the Holy Spirit. And I told you this morning we're going to start with looking at the three uh, different commissions uh, that, that Jesus gives us. And so we're going to start right there and we're just going to dive straight in because I got a lot I want to cover tonight. Three commissions. The first commission that we see in Scripture tonight uh, that we're going to see is it says this, to preach the word to the unsaved, to preach God's word to the unsaved. This is found in Mark chapter 15, verses 15 through 16. It says, and he said to them, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So that sounds similar to the Great Commission, but this last part here is where we get a distinction. This is a different time. This is a different conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. He said, whoever believes and is baptized with water will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so Jesus gives a distinction right here. And this is different than the great commission found in Matthew 28. Because this distinction is that preach the gospel so that the lost will be saved. And that's the first. And if, if you were to look at this, like, I, I just didn't have enough room for a whiteboard and props and a TV and a Bible up here today. But if, you were to, if I were to have a whiteboard, I'd draw this. If you look at this like a funnel, that's the first step. In fact, as a church, for us in our mission, that's our first step. Is we want to see people know God. We want to see people get saved. And then it goes on. Jesus gives another commission. Uh, and the second commission is this. He says, to make disciples. To make disciples. And so in this we see this is Matthew 28. This is what you're familiar with probably, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So this is different. The first one says, go, therefore, preach the word and to believers and, and to unbelievers so that people would come to know Christ. This one says, go and make disciples. It says, baptizing them, that's in water, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of days. Make disciples. And so if you're looking at this, in fact, this is part of our mission here, know God, that's to see people saved, the lost saved, to make disciples, you could say that would be number two, number three, that's to grow in freedom, uh, to discover purpose, that kind of fits in those things where we're maturing in Christ, we're learning who he is. This is the process that Jesus took the disciples on for three years to teach them, to show them, to unpack God's word. And then the third commission this comes in Acts, and this may be one that you've never recognized before, but one of the last things that Jesus, one of the last commissions that he gave the disciples was in Acts 1.8, and this was the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the believers. Baptism of the Holy Spirit for the believers. This is Acts 1.8. says, so he tells them to go and to wait, and he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So it comes back to that idea of witnesses going into the world in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just this is a freebie. I'm not going to break this down, but here's another three. Jerusalem, the city, Judea and Samaria, the nation, and to all the world, all the world. God works in threes. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so if you were to see the commissions like this, it's to preach the word so the lost get saved. It's to disciple the saved so that they're mobilized and, and can go in to make a difference. And then this last one is to, to see us, the believers, baptized in the Holy Spirit so they can walk in power, not just for the sake of power or gifts or manifestations, but why do we have this power? Why do we need to be baptized? It's so we can be witnesses. And you see in these commissions, the heart of God is the same for all three, is that the world would know him. 
But all three of them are like almost like a funnel where you start with a broad group of people, the lost would be saved, the saved would be discipled, and then the last, that the discipled would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can almost see a funnel here of what God is trying to do in this. And so in the four Gospels, you'll find five different things that are in all four Gospels. One is the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of 5,000, and one more thing, you guessed it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is one of the, there's five things that are found in all four Gospels, and this is one of them, the Holy Spirit. And so in this, tonight, I told you I was going to show you three baptisms, and I'm kind of pushing through the front side of this because we're going to spend some time kind of opening up the rest of this. Three baptisms that I believe are in Scripture. And this is funny because me and Ryan were actually asked a few months ago, someone was like, hey, so, so Pastor John, do you believe in two baptisms? The second baptism, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they knew my background. They knew I, I kind of came from a charismatic, kind of more Pentecostal background. They said, do you believe in this? I said, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break your mind right now. I believe in three baptisms. And they were like, what? And I said, yeah, take a while to unpack it. It's a pretty big theological thought. We're going to unpack it here tonight. But I'm going to show you, I believe that there's three different immersions that God is calling us to as believers. Here's the first one. The first immersion, baptism. Baptism means to be fully engulfed, immersed in something. It's salvation. And this is one maybe that a lot of people haven't considered. That when we are saved, we are immersed in Christ. That, that we're seen differently. In fact, if it weren't for that, we would always be seen by our sin, by our mistakes, by our failures. But because of the blood of Christ that doesn't cover our sins, but washes our sins, that only happens in an immersion type setting, then, then we are saved. And this is, this is it, it, theological, you can look at this, this only happens by the Holy Spirit and knocking on our heart and drawing us to Jesus. And so it's funny, uh, some people may be distant and be distant towards the thought of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but salvation only happens through the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart. You're already being pulled in baptism, pulled in immersion in this. I'll show you a scripture to go with this. Galatians 3, 26-27. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So Paul is making this distinction. Once you're saved, you are in Christ. And we call ourselves Christians, and we would say we're like Christ, but I would say theologically that's incorrect. That may be our effort. That may be what we're trying to do. We're trying to be more like him and less like ourselves. But the, the theological correction is that once you're saved, you're not trying to be like him. You're in him. That you're, how God sees you is through the filter of Jesus on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. That's good news because there's no amount of good things that you can do to make up for the bad things that you've done. So because of Jesus, because we're in Jesus, we're saved. That's an immersion. We're, we're not just friends with Jesus. He's not just our buddy we talk to on Sundays. He's not just the person we try to model our life after. If you're saved, you are in Christ. That's an immersion. Second baptism we see in Scripture is the baptism of water. This is to be immersed in water, the immersion of water. And so with water, we are baptized in water by fellow believers. Uh, you could be, this could happen through a pastor, a friend, a mentor, a parent, a sibling. This is just where another believer actually is in part of a participant in this, and they baptize you in water. Uh, Romans 6, Paul talks about this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ 
were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This scripture is a popular scripture. If you read before and after it, what Paul's talking about is the baptism of water. This is who we are in our sin brokenness. But just as Christ died and went to the tomb, so when we choose to follow Christ, when we answer to the call of the Holy Spirit, we bury our sins and we come out a new creation. And so baptism is symbolic of an immersion, of us being washed by the blood of Christ and now by the, the, the hand of God. And so we see this um, in this. This is a public decoration, uh, baptism is. And then the third baptism we're going to look at tonight is a spirit baptism, immersed in the spirit. And this, if you look at it like a, a cookie, like a sandwich, uh, like an Oreo cookie, the Holy Spirit baptizes us and it brings us to Jesus and then we interact with the people of God, the body of Christ, the church, and that's how we're baptized in water. But then on the backside, now Jesus is calling us to the Holy Spirit. And we know this because Jesus himself said this um, in multiple times in Scripture. Um, in this, we see that uh, Matthew 3.11, Jesus says, I don't have these up here because I'm just going to rattle a few of them off for you tonight. Jesus says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Mark 1.8, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John 1.33, he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In all four Gospels, there is a, a call or an instance that Jesus is the one who introduces us and baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. So we see this, I'll show you this there's these four scriptures. I'm sorry, I should have put those up there for you. Matthew 3.11, if you didn't write these down. Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33. You got it? Yeah. Got it? Okay, I'm going to keep moving. So this is what we see. Scripture confirms all three baptisms. Scripture confirms all three baptisms. I'm going to go back to the verse I shared this morning. 1 John 5, 7 through 8. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. Let's look at these three right here. The spirit, Holy Spirit, obvious. The water, water baptism, and the blood. Why would John say it like this? The blood, the third baptism, the third mark of baptism is the salvation. He's saying the blood of Christ, the Christ that shed his blood on the cross is a mark of the witness of what God wants to do inside of us. Paul, or Peter references this in his message when the Holy Spirit falls and he preaches and he's given his altar call for people to get saved. He makes three distinctions here. Peter said to them, they said, what must we do to be saved? He says this, repent, that is a mark of salvation God, I repent. When we repent of our sins, when we recognize who Christ is and what he's done, then that's salvation. And he says, be baptized. That's water baptism. Uh, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, here's the third one, received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so multiple times in Scripture, we can see that three baptisms is something that we see. It's confirmed in Scripture. Scripture also shows us this, that the scripture shows us that all three baptisms, baptisms, excuse me, are or can be separate experiences. The three baptisms are or can be separate experiences. I want to show you this. And so there's a, a view of, of, of the Holy Spirit that would say that once you're saved, then you have the Holy Spirit and that's the end of it. 
Um, I believe, and I come from the perspective, and I'm going to share a little bit about this here in just a second, but I'm from the perspective that, that I see scripturally that there's multiple experiences that you can be filled with the Spirit and not immersed by the Spirit. I'm going to kind of show you some distinctions here in this. Acts chapter 8. So this is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is growing. It's spreading. Persecution hits the church. Now the disciples are spreading out. Philip is one of them. He goes to Samaria and he preaches the good news. And here's where we are. But when they believed, that's saved. When they got saved, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Water baptized. They believed salvation, water baptism here, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. There's a whole separate story there, but we're just going to kind of bump through this to get the larger picture. Verse 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they received the word of God and they were saved, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. Philip preached, they were saved, they were water baptized, but now, the, here right here, Luke is saying, hey, we know that, that until Peter and John got there, they were not filled, they were not immersed, they were not baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so it says this, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptized. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Three separate instances. I want to show you another one. Acts 19. This is Paul. Paul is going into, uh, I believe it's Corinth, and he says this, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul preached, they got saved, they got baptized in water. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Three separate instances we see right there. And so here's what I want you to know before we go any further. Salvation is a free gift. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything. It's just what Jesus did for you. You just receive it. Water baptism is a response to that free gift. So water baptism is something we choose to do. God gives us salvation. We receive it. And then we say, hey, because of that, because of that transformation, I want to be water baptized. I want people to know that I am a new creation, so I'm going to make a public declaration. And that's what water baptism is. But I believe the Holy Spirit, again, a sandwich, if, you wanna, if, you, if you're just an Oreo fan like I am, you got another free gift here. The Holy Spirit is another free gift that just like salvation, does, you don't have to do anything to deserve it or to earn it. It's just a free, available gift. And we see this in these scriptures here. And so why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is a question I want, to, want us to ask and, and kind of talk about for a second. Why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's why I believe, because I think we see in these scriptures, and we're going to see as we keep looking, I believe that God wants us to walk in freedom. God wants us to walk in power. And God wants us to walk in intimacy. I think the reason we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for freedom, is for power, and is for intimacy. And I think we're going to see that tonight. Peter is one of the greatest examples of the difference of someone who was learned and trained and grew up and discipled, but didn't have power. I mentioned this in one of the services this morning, but Peter, as Christ was captured, as he's being beaten and tortured, he was asked three times, aren't you one of the followers of Christ? And you know the story, he denied three times. Then Jesus is crucified, he's buried in the ground, in a tomb, and the disciples are hiding 
and the women go to check on Jesus. So he's still a coward, still fearful, still unsure of himself, still uncertain what's going on. His, his, his rabbi, his teacher, maybe his best friend is now gone. And, and so he's there. Jesus rises from the dead. The women get this idea, this miracle. Re- this is revealed to them. They run back and tell Peter and John. And what does Peter do? He has to go and see it himself. Peter, James, John, the disciples. He has to go run back and see it himself. He gets there. He's already gone. So Peter, what does he do? He goes back to that room, shuts the door, goes back into hiding until Jesus appears. When Jesus appears, then they recognize he's, he's resurrected, and they spend 40 days with Jesus. And while Jesus is on the earth, after he's resurrected, he teaches them all things about the kingdom is what Luke tells us. He's teaching about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And his last commission that Jesus gives the, the disciples, he says this, go and wait in Jerusalem. So that's what they do. They go and they wait in Jerusalem. And they're waiting in an upper room and they're praying. And then we get this picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them. And we read about this a few weeks ago. There's a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It was like a wind. They saw tongues of fire or fire above their heads. And they begin to speak in other tongues. They walk outside. Peter goes from a coward to the boldest preacher we've ever seen. Peter, that's what Peter does. He, he flips this switch where he's kind of like, I'm hiding in an upper room. I'm hiding in this. And, then, and I'm, 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 I, Jesus even restored him. How many times? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, he goes back to a room and shuts the door. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, Peter, Peter kicks the door open, walks out into the middle of the street, starts preaching, starts prophesying with a confidence and a power that no one had ever seen outside of Jesus. And, and he sees something that Jesus hadn't even seen. Jesus told him, you're going to see things that I didn't see. God, I'm going to do things. The Holy Spirit's going to do things through you that I didn't do. 3,000 people were saved that day in Jerusalem. Jesus had never had a moment like that. He never preached and saw that kind of salvation and the baptism of the Spirit in Jerusalem like that. 3,000 people instantly saved. Peter goes from a coward to a bold preacher of the gospel who preaches with conviction and leads to revival. What's the difference? He was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so this is why we're talking about, this is why we're, why do we need the, the Holy Spirit? Because we need more than just knowledge. Peter had that. We need more than just understanding. Peter had that. We need more than just teaching. Peter had that. But what Peter saw and what we see in Acts 2 is what we need in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so this is what happens and this is what we need. And my goal tonight is not to talk you into anything, okay? I want you to know this. Before we get any further, I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I'm not trying to get you to be like me or do what I do or even believe how I believe. But here's my goal. My goal tonight is to show you scripture that I believe is clear. I believe the scripture speaks for itself. And my goal, I hope I can introduce you to the Holy Spirit that I know. That's my goal. I hope that you see the Holy Spirit in a clear way through the lens of scripture. Okay, so that's our goal tonight. When you're saved... The Holy Spirit came to live within you, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He teaches us. He guides us. He helps us. He brings us peace and conviction and more. But Jesus told the disciples, he says, go to the city and wait because I want to, and this is the word Jesus used, you're going to be clothed with power. And this is the kind of experience I want to see in our church. This is the kind of experience I want to see in my life. I don't want to be an average Christian. I don't want to be just someone who knows, who understands, who's maybe even spent some time with Jesus, but looks unaffected by him. And this is what they said. When Peter preaches, they were amazed, and they're like, what's going on? And this is what they said. They're like, these are the men who have been with Jesus. 
That was their response, of, but that was their response to the power of the Holy Spirit moving through them. Not just what they knew, not just what they understand. They didn't say that because they hung out with Jesus because they wore the same clothes as Jesus. They had all matching t-shirts, like the 12 guys, like, hey, let's get matching t-shirts, guys. It's my last week on earth. You know, they didn't go do that at the beach. You know, I don't know if you've ever done that with your family. Go to the beach, you all get the spray painted matching t-shirts with the date on it. They, that's not how they knew that they were part of Jesus' followers. They knew because the power that was working through Jesus was now working through them. And, and I want to live that kind of life. I don't want to live an average Christian life. I want to live a life where the power of God moves in me. So I told him to wait for the promise. This, this morning I told you this, wait for the promise. And the promise is this, that you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I want to show you this. this is, I think this is a great example uh, to kind of show us a little bit. I'm going to let Austin, you with me here? I know we've got a one-man camera crew. You got me? Okay. So when we look at this, this, if this is our life, if this represents you, when you're saved, I want to make this distinction. When you're saved, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he fills your life at the point of salvation. So at the point of salvation, now the Holy Spirit works in you. That what we said a minute ago, Christ is in you. And so now you have a, a different, that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. There's a different conviction and a drawing that comes from the Holy Spirit working inside of you. And so if you're saved, this is you. But what we're talking about tonight is not this. We're not talking about the baptism of salvation or even water baptism. What we're talking about is the immersion or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which takes us to a different conversation. Because I believe when you're saved, when you're water baptized, this is a perspective of your life. You're filled with the Spirit of God. But what we're going to talk about tonight is this. If this is what the Holy Spirit is, we're talking about immersion. I'm going to make a mess here tonight, but you get the idea. We're talking about an immersion. Well, see, what, what this does is this shifts us from doing and operating inside of our own giftings and abilities. If I want to have more self-control, I can work on that. If I want to have more mercy, I can work on that. If I want to be a, a better teacher, I can even practice and work on that. But what I'm asking for is not to be a better teacher. I'm asking for the power of God to work through me in ways that I am unable to produce on my own. I'm asking to be immersed in the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit works on the outside of me and through me in ways that when people see me, they said, that's not John, that can't be him. That is a mark. He's been with the Holy Spirit. He's been with God. He's been with Jesus. And this was the mark of the disciples. They were immersed. We could see that something was different. What Peter was doing was outside of himself. It was outside of his giftings. And this is what we're talking about tonight. What, what is the manifestation gifts? What are the things that the Holy Spirit enables us to do outside of our natural giftings and our natural skills? And this is the best way I can show you as we look at this tonight. And so there are things I believe that God has promised believer that are outside of our abilities. And this is the promise of the supernatural. And this is what I said this morning. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities. I believe that God gives his people for the purpose of edifying oneself and edifying the church and the purpose of being witnesses in the world. And so this is the immersion of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It says this, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul's saying, I didn't, I didn't have a great message for you. I just came and preached the basic thing that I preach everywhere. I just preached Jesus crucified, and it was a simple message. And I was with you in weakness and in fear as much of trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So he says, I was preaching a word to you, but I even had some things going on. 
And I want you to know this, that me, as a pastor, there's sometimes I walk up here, and just like you, you may think, I'd rather be someone else. I want you to know, there's sometimes I walk up here, and I'd rather be someone else. I was like, I'm tired. Sometimes I can get beat down. My soul can get discouraged. And Paul's like, this is where I was at. I was giving a word. I was giving you a basic word that I was instructed to preach. But here's what happened. I didn't move you with my eloquent speech or my crafty teaching. He says this, but in demonstration of the spirit and power when I preached, that's what happened. Something outside of myself moved on your hearts so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is incredible because Paul is a fantastic communicator. Uh, much of what we teach and what we know about doctrine comes from Paul. Yet he goes, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough knowledge. I need the power of God manifested in the words that I speak and preach. And Paul even recognizes, he calls on this. He says this, good preaching is good, but supernatural preaching charged by the Holy Spirit is better. And this is what I'm desperate for. I want to move of God. I want to be marked by, not by my intellect or my gifting, but by the power of God. And I believe that's why you're here tonight. You're, you're people who are, one, you're interested, you're inquirers, and you're saying, hey, what does that look like to, to live a life that's marked by the power of God? And I believe that God created a way for our spirit to connect with his spirit and to bypass even some of our natural giftings and our, bypass our, our, our natural inclinations and doubts and frustrations. I believe that God's created a way for our spirits to connect with his spirit. And we're going to talk about that. Before we do, I want to talk to you about two camps when it comes to, to spiritual gifts. Two camps. Uh, one camp is this. It's called cessationism. It's a hard word for me to say. Cessationism. It's C-E-S-S-A-T-I-O-N-I-S-N. Cessationism. And this, this is the group of people who believe that the gifts cease to exist with the apostles. That once the apostles were no longer on the earth, the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy and healing and faith and miracles, discernment, words of wisdom and words of knowledge, that those things cease to exist. That's what these people believe. Um, it's, but when I read Acts, I see that this, that, that, that Paul or that Peter says this, he says, it's for you, it's for your children and for all those who are far off. That sounds like that's, that it would include us. And then, um, uh, and then in Joel, he says this. He says that, that this spirit, the Holy Spirit, is there for all flesh. And, and that doesn't sound like it had a timeline attached to it. But there's a group of people who would believe that, that that's their perspective, the cessationism. So that's one camp. Another camp would be called this, Pentecostalism. And this is the idea or the belief that gifts are the sign of salvation. And if you don't operate in spiritual gifts, I mean this, if you don't pray in tongues, if you don't speak in tongues, if you don't prophesy, if you don't heal, if these things don't happen in your life, you're not even saved. So you have these two camps. And I think when you have these two camps, what happens is everyone tries to find a safe spot in the middle. <laughs> because I think most of us in the room, we want to believe that God still heals and that God still moves and that someone may be given a word that would help our lives that would be of wisdom and prophecy. I think most of us, like we looked at the, the manifestation gifts, the spiritual gifts, we'd say, man, I would love to see more of that in the church and in my life today. And, but we also wouldn't be in the camp of saying, if that's a requirement to be saved, I, I, I don't know if I understand it, and I hope I can be saved without it. And so you kind of, what ends up happening, I think, is that people kind of fall into the middle, but they don't fall into the middle on solid structural, scriptural truths. They fall into the ground of an abyss. I just kind of want to hide in this little hole because I'm not really sure what I know. And so this is my goal tonight is I want to prop you up with scripture. I think there is a middle ground. I, in fact, I don't believe either one of those perspectives, but I want us to stand. I don't want us to hide in unknown. I want us to stand on truth. And that's our goal for tonight. So 
What is, here's the question, and this is the question you're probably asking, what is tongues? Prophecy, I can understand. Miracles, I can understand. Um, you know, words of wisdom or words of, of knowledge, I could understand those things. But what is tongues? So let me draw a distinction for you first. The difference between, this is, this, these are the declarative gifts, prophecy, various tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Talked about this this morning. So what is tongues? I want to show you two different looks at the declarative gifts. The first one's prophecy, and that's this, the Holy Spirit speaking through a known language. Tongues is the Holy Spirit speaking through an unknown language. So Holy Spirit speaking through a known language, or the Holy Spirit speaking through an unknown language. First people who experienced this in Acts chapter 2 probably had the same response you did. And this is what the Acts in Acts 2, when they were preaching, when they were speaking in tongues, and the, the 120 came down and they were, they were just speaking in tongues out loud, they said this, what is going on? Are you drunk? That was the question they asked. What does this mean? What's going on? And so this may be the question that you're asking tonight. Why would I want to speak in tongues? Why would I want to pray in tongues? Why do I need to pray in tongues? Why do we need a heavenly language? Is it because it's to be goofy or to weird? Is it a linguistic seizure? You know, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Is it like just someone just like sporadically saying things? Um, you know, I, I, at church camp, I remember when I was a kid, I went to a spirit-filled church camp, and they used to have shirts that said, had a llama and a sink on it. And it used to just say, llama, llama, sinky. And it was basically kind of making fun of a phrase that someone might say. Uh, and then they had another shirt that said this. It had uh, someone, uh, had a, a car on it, like peeling out and running away. And it said, who stole my Honda? Um, and the idea was this, is like, what, what is this? What's going on? And they were making fun of it tongue in cheek because they were actually going to teach on it and help kids experience the Holy Spirit. But I think sometimes we're like, what is this? What are people saying? And I, I want to tell you this, tongues... Prophecy, declarative gifts from the Spirit, this is the purpose of them. It is for spirit-to-spirit communication. Spirit-to-spirit communication. I'm going to show you a lot of scriptures to do with this. But first, I want to show you this. Tongues is a heavenly language between God's Spirit and your spirit. Between God's Spirit and your spirit. If you notice, it removes something in that, and that is your, your uh, natural gift of communicating words. So it's, it's a, a direct connection between God's spirit and your spirit. I'm going to show you the, uh, uh, several scriptures for this. Romans 8, 16. Paul says this, The spirit himself, so the Holy Spirit within you, bears witness with our spirit. There's two distinctions there. It's not the Holy Spirit just does it for you. Holy Spirit's not just taking over and just, just pushing through your body. It says the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So one of the ways that you feel the confirmation and the love of God is the Holy Spirit and your spirit communicating together. That's how you know and you sense the love of God. And I believe there's times in my life when, when maybe this, where my mind doesn't testify or doesn't bear witness with God's mind or God's spirit. Have you ever sensed that before? Like what you're thinking is not God's thoughts. What you're saying is not God's words. In fact, you kind of hope God was busy while you were talking because if he heard what you were saying, he might be disappointed in how you were approaching a situation or how you're talking about something. And this is, I love how Paul says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Meaning this, God's spirit connects with our spiritness and they testify to each other. They, they communicate to each other in a way that's real, in a way that's authentic, in a way that sometimes I try to keep from God, yet my spirit and God's spirit are communicating together. Romans eight twenty six says this, 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So sometimes we don't know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Paul is referencing praying in tongues here. He says sometimes there's, there's places in our life where we're not sure what to pray, yet the Spirit inside of us connects with the Holy Spirit. And even though I don't have the right words, I know I prayed the right prayer. In fact, this is one of the many ways that I pray in tongues is that I'll pray in English for a while, and I'll pray during 21 days of prayer. I'll march back and forth in here, if you've seen me, back and forth praying, praying, praying. And about 10 minutes, I get ADD, and I'm thinking, what's for breakfast? Who am I supposed to meet today? Man, we need to shampoo this carpet. Like, I just start thinking through all these thoughts. And so one of the ways that helps me move past when I run out of things to say, I just start praying in the Spirit. And I've found myself oftentimes interceding for things I didn't even realize I was interceding for. In fact, I was praying in the Spirit just, just this morning. I was up front before service started, and I was just up front, and I was just praying under my breath, and I was praying in tongues. And I felt like the Spirit of the Lord gave me someone to go talk to. I, I was praying. I didn't even know what I was praying for. And I felt like the Spirit of God told me that there's someone that just got a report that their kid is now being diagnosed with autism. And I felt like the Spirit of the Lord gave me that, that word, and I felt like I knew exactly who it was. I haven't talked to them yet. They're not here tonight. But I feel like the Spirit of God gave me that. That only happened, I was, that was my spirit talking with God's spirit. I don't know those things. I, I don't, like, there's no secret pastoral download that I just plug up to and God gives me things. You're sitting there thinking, is, is God telling them all the things I've done wrong? No, he doesn't do that. That's not what's happening. When I look at you, I'm not looking into your soul. Like, it's just the Holy Spirit. When I start to pray in the Spirit, there's things that happen that, that I, and things that I get that I wouldn't get otherwise. There's interceding for me. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So there's a way to pray that you might not understand me, and that's probably you've never heard me pray that way unless you walk close to me during 21 days of prayer. You've never heard me because I'm not praying to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm not teaching you. I'm not trying to help you know God better. It's my spirit groaning out, my spirit calling out to God and saying, God, I want to know you better. God, speak to me, show me things, reveal things to me, lead me, guide me, direct me. So when I pray in the spirit, not only do I get mysteries from God, not only does God understand things, even when I can't articulate them, I believe when we pray in the spirit, we're always praying in alignment with God. I'm going to show you this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So you can get to a place where you're just rattling off tongues and like nothing is happening. You're just sitting there making a noise. And he says this, what am I to do then? If I get lost in, in praying in tongues, what am I do? He says, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'm also going to pray with my mind. I'm going to engage both. I'm not just going to be all the way over here. and I'm not just going to be all the way over here. He says this, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll also sing praise with my mind also. I believe when we pray in the spirit, we align our will to his will. Our minds all of a sudden start getting to tuck under his mind. Our thoughts start to get aligned with his thoughts. So to pray in tongues is not absent-minded. It doesn't mean that God is taking over your tongue and you're just sitting there and he's flapping it around inside of your mouth. That's not what that means. You don't have to let go of your tongue and God grabs it and does something. It's not, that's not what's happening here. It's because Paul says it's an engagement of both things. I'm engaging my mind and my spirit cries out. In fact, there's been times where, like I said, I started to pray for something. I ran out of words to pray, but I found myself praying for 10 or 15 minutes longer about that specific thing 
but not with any necessarily English words. So this brings us to this idea and this thought of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's not a hostile takeover. It's not a brainwashing. It's not a, con, a tongue controlling. Praying in tongues is always engaged by your mind first and your spirit connects the dots. So when I pray in tongues, I, it always starts with me intending to pray in tongues. It, it's, it's an intention. I start to do it and it happens. It doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen just because all of a sudden I find, I don't wake up in a trance and be like, where am I at? What did God do? What did he say? It starts by me saying, hey, I have a heavenly prayer language and I want to know God better and I understand why I'm doing it. And so now I'm opening up my mouth and I'm praying and now I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to connect with my spirit intimately. Tongues is not something goofy. I believe it's a necessity so we can pray and connect with God in the fullness and the wholeness and the perfection that he's intended. So say it this way, praying in tongues is speaking without necessarily generating words. So when you pray in tongues, when you speak in tongues, there's not necessarily words or phrases that you're going to come out and say, like, that's what I was saying, that's what I was doing. In fact, we see this in Acts 2.4. Uh, when, when they were originally filled with the Holy Spirit, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we know in this story, they go out and they speak in tongues that other people hear their languages, but they were not speaking a specific language. They didn't even know what was going on necessarily. They were just operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, I heard a story about this. Someone asked me, well, if it, tongues, it's just, it's a gift from the, from, the, from the New Testament and we don't need it today. And it doesn't, it's no, we don't need it today because we have the internet and we have Google Translate. And so we don't need the Holy Spirit because I can speak in a language to someone else. If I need to, to speak or pray in a specific language, I can just speak into my phone and hold it up to them and they can Google Translate it, right? And so I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but that was their idea of why we don't need it, which to me, that told me they just don't understand it, maybe a little timid, intimidated by it and don't really want to like talk about it really or learn about it because it maybe seems weird to them. So we had this conversation. And I shared a story that Pastor Willie shared with me about how when he was, one day he was preaching the word and he stopped and he said, I believe someone has a word. I believe that God's speaking right now. Someone, someone, in, the, someone in the audience, and talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14, someone in the audience stood up and gave a word in tongues. And so Pastor Willie, he stood there for a second. He felt like God gave him the interpretation of that, which is another spiritual gift. So he interprets that gift and says, here's what the spirit of the Lord just said through that young man. Said it, they moved on to service, preached the message. He's walking out, Sunday's over. You know, it's Sunday night service, he's just walking out. And some young lady, an African-American gentleman, come running up af after them. And she says, hey, I, I want to introduce you to my friend. And he's originally from whatever nation he was from, somewhere in Africa. He's like, he's here now. And, and he, I wanted you to connect with him. And, the, and the, this man, he reached out to Pastor Willie. He says, hey, who is the man that spoke the message? And he was like, I spoke the message. I was on stage for like 40 minutes. <laughs> You're talking to him. He's like, no, the other guy. And he's like, there was no other guy that spoke a message. He's like, the young man that stood up in the audience He's like, oh, the man that stood up and gave the word in tongues. He's like, he didn't give a word in tongues. He's like, that wasn't what he was. He spoke in my African dialect. And this is what he said. And what, this is what's crazy is that when, when he, he said what he heard in his dialect to Pastor Willie, it was almost word for word what Pastor Willie had interpreted to the church. And so I, I see that the Holy Spirit can move still how he moved in Acts. He can still use someone to speak in tongues that someone else may understand. But tonight we're talking not just about the gift of the church. I don't really have time to dive into that. We're talking about the personal gift of tongues. And that's what we're going to dive into here as we kind of get wrapping up on this. So can I be, here's another question you may be asking yourself tonight. Can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? Uh, of course you can. 
Like, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could come into you, and, and you, can, you can have a f- fulfilling and immersion of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's two different camps on this. Some people believe that the tongues is the evidence of the immersion, and other people that believe that tongues is a gift, just like other gifts, prophecy and things like that. And so either way you look at this, this is what I would tell you, whether your tongues is an initial evidence is how we say it, or tongues is a gift just like the other gifts, either camp that you may find yourself in, or either one you may find yourself in, this is a question I'll ask you this. Have you ever thought about being married to your wife and never kissing her? It's a really funny, awkward question, isn't it? Thinking about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about having access to knowing the Holy Spirit intimately and not wanting it? Ever having the ability for your spirit to connect with his spirit in an intimate way, but saying, nah, that's not for me. And so this is, this is why I want to just talk about this as a personal gift tonight, because I believe it's a way for us to, to know God better. A.W. Tozer says this. Um, actually, no, it's not Tozer. That's a different quote. Uh, no, it is. It's Tozer. I got two quotes here. I got to read this one to you. So A.W. Tozer says this. Um, he said, would, would a meal eaten by St. Peter in the year 8033 nourish me today? And he says, no, Peter's dead and I can't be nourished by what Peter ate. So this is the idea that the gifts are apostolic, meaning they, they came and they lived and we don't need it. I don't have to have it. Peter needed it, but I don't need it. And he says this, would the fullness of the Holy Ghost that Peter got in the upper chamber do for me today, or must I receive individually what Peter received? What value would the fullness of the Spirit in the church in Jerusalem have for us today if it was done over there once and for all, and we can't have the same thing here today? It's a great question. And so when we start thinking about the speaking in tongues, we start, I love how Tozer puts it because he's like, why wouldn't we want that? If God did it then and he's still doing it today, why wouldn't we do this? This is a, a quote by Kenneth Hagin, great teacher um, on, the, on the charismatic movement. He said this, if you're satisfied, and I'm satisfied. So this is a story that he tells about a, a, a young Baptist preacher in his 20s coming to one of his, his services where he was helping people know the Holy Spirit. And he, he came with questions. He came with his arms crossed. And he was there basically to prove him wrong. And so he came up and he says, do I have to, be, do I have to speak in tongues before the Spirit? And so this is what Kenneth Hagin told him. He said, if you're satisfied, I'm satisfied. Like, if, you, if that's good. He said, I don't want to give you anything more than you want. If you don't have any hunger for God, if you don't want any more of God, that's just fine with me. And he, so the, the young man goes, oh, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. He's like, well, this is what Scripture is showing us, that there's a deeper intimacy. And so he goes on to tell a story. He actually led that young man to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit that night. I'm sure it wrecked his little Baptist church or wherever it was. Uh, but Kenneth Hagin tells this story. I love this question because it poses an idea for us. Why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want to know that? Here's another question for us today. Do you have to speak in tongues? Like, is that a requirement to be saved? No, it's not a requirement to be saved. We cover that. We're not Pentecostalism. That's not our idea. Um, so it doesn't make you a super Christian, uh, nor does it make everyone else just a normal, regular Christian. So there's no elevated sense because you do this and other people aren't less because they don't. That's, that's not what we get in this. So it's not something that you have to do for posture. It's not something you have to do to receive grace. It's not something you have to do to make God like you more. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with your opportunity to know him in a deeper way. It, it's, it's on you. It's a free gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 18 through 19 says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Only Paul can say that. <laughs> That's how he, he starts. Hey, I, I do this more than all of you guys. But he says, nevertheless, 
In church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. So Paul is, he's not saying that tongues isn't important. And we're going to kind of look at that here in a second. What he's saying is that I may speak in tongues a lot, and I do. But when I'm here, I want to preach the word. I want to teach you some things. I'm not here to, to operate in the manifest gifts of the Spirit. When I'm here, I want to preach the Word to you. I want you to know, in fact, he knows this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So Paul knows, I want to increase your faith. I'm going to preach the Word. It's not that I don't have this gift. It's not that I don't operate in this gift. It's not that I don't love praying in tongues. It's not that this thing isn't real to me and it can be real to you. But I'm here to preach the Word today. And I think this is a distinction for us because I think what this does, it helps us to understand that, that this gift, although it is for the church and edification of the church, first and foremost, Paul is saying it's for me. It starts right here. I do this a lot, guys, more than all of you. That's what he says. Can you imagine someone in the room is like, oh my gosh, here he goes. You know, <laughs> Paul is so cool. He's so good. You know, he went on an island and God just met him there and gave him all this stuff that the disciples had to learn in three years. Like, we all know the story, Paul. You know, like I can imagine some people, but he was drawing a distinction there. I do this, but when I'm here, I want to preach the word. In fact, this is why on Sunday mornings, you may go, how come we don't operate in the gifts on Sunday morning? How come we don't have prophecy or, or words of tongues and interpretation of tongues? This goes back to the three types of people that we talked about this morning. There was the believer, the one who believes and operates in the gifts. There's the unbeliever, that, the person who doesn't know Jesus. They haven't been taught. They haven't met him. And then there's the inquirer, the person who does know Jesus but doesn't know about the gifts. And in that teaching, this is what Paul says. Paul goes, if, if this is the audience, then the only gift that really has a place here is prophecy. Because that's the thing that has a potential. If someone gets up and gives a word in prophecy, then everyone goes, that was exactly right. Then God gets the glory and people recognize the Holy Spirit is powerful and we want to know him better. And so if you're wondering, why do we not do this? Because on Sundays at Vima, we have all three groups of people on Sunday mornings in the service. And so what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about preaching the word on Sunday mornings. I'm passionate. Why are we coming back to do this on Sunday night? It's not because I'm scared to talk about it. It's not because I think it's weird. It's because I wanted a group full of people who are believers and operate or believers and are inquirers. Because then that changes the tenor of the room. That changes the content of, of what we may talk about. And so I, I think this gives us some understanding of what, what is good. So my heart for you tonight is, is for you to receive the gift of tongues if you're open to it. But why for your personal edification? I, I don't have time tonight to talk about how it works and operates in the church. Tonight we're talking specifically about personal edification. And I've experienced this for years. I, I, I've prayed in tongues as a regular part of my life since I was probably 9 or 10 years old. I remember going to... To, to a church camp, and they, they talked about this, and I understood it, and I said, I want that. And I remember from that day in time, now there's been seasons where I've prayed in tongues more, and seasons where I didn't pray in tongues. There's actually a season when I was in my 20s, I was like, is this even real? Or is this just something that my parents taught me and that my church believed? And I dove into scripture, and I had my best friend was Southern Baptist to the core, and we argued for like a month. And it, what this did, and this is why I'm, I'm not even afraid if you're in a room and you disagree with me. Because this is what, what the outcome of tonight, if you agree or disagree with me and my perspective of Scripture and what we're sharing tonight, irregardless, what you're going to do is you're going to go home and you're going to read the Bible more. So when someone challenges your way of thinking or comes with a different perspective, if the outcome is not for you to be like me, the outcome is for you just to know Jesus better. And you diving into Scripture, stirring up the Word and asking God to speak to you through His Word, that's going to cause you to know Him better. And so tonight, I believe that's the outcome for every single person here. You're going to walk out knowing the Holy Spirit better, whether you operate in the spiritual gifts or not, because you're going to be intrigued. 
And this is what happened when me and my, my buddy were, were arguing back and forth. I, all of a sudden, I was saying things that my parents taught me, but I didn't have the scriptures to, to back them up. So all of a sudden, my Bible started getting wore out. I'm highlighting stuff and underlining stuff. And we sit down, we argue again for an hour. And then we'd meet, not be together for a week. And I'd go and highlight and underline stuff. And this was before Google. We, could, we had no cheat code, guys. All you guys are like, you can go, you're checking what I'm saying right now. You're like, is that even accurate? I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see what John Piper has to say about this. Like, you're already thinking, of, like, through some of the stuff. And you're digging. we didn't have that. This is what we had. God's word, a pen and a highlighter, and say, God, speak to me. And we just dug and dug and dug. And this is what I came out to. This is definitely real, and it's powerful. And I believe that God is working in, in my life through this. It's one of the ways I pray for guidance. It's one of the ways I pray for you as a church. It's one of the ways I pray for revelation. It's one of the ways I pray for my kids. It's one of the ways I pray for my friends. The spiritual la language that I pray, it's the way I connect my spirit with his. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians here. 14, 1 through 5. It says this, pursue love. This is Paul's instruction. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. As a church, we should want these things. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So again, he's saying, if you're in a group, you should prophesy. That edifies the church. But tonight, I'm, I'm drawing an attention to a personal prayer language here. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And then Paul says this, now I want you all to pray in tongues. If it was an apostolic gift, why is Paul asking it and, and, and wanting it for the church? These church people aren't the apostles. They're just a church. So if it did just exist with the 120 and that was it, then why is Paul saying, I want you as regular church people, just people who happen to live in this town that I happen to be passing through, that happen to be preaching. Why is he wanting it from them? Because I believe it's for all people. And he says this, I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy because that builds up the church. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So he gives a little teaching on that. Again, I don't have time to break all that down. So Paul's instructions are for this, for us to desire the spiritual gifts. Tongues are for edifying oneself. Prophecy is for edifying the, the church. I've received revelations from God while praying in tongues. I've, I've received scripture from God while praying in tongues. Uh, in fact, um, I, he's not here this morning and we're recording it. I won't say his name, but I met with a young man who had questions about his faith. A lot of doubt and a lot of like, man, I want this to be real, but I, I'm just not sure. So we met for coffee. And when he was sitting here and he was sharing like where he was at with his faith, what he didn't know is I was quietly praying in the spirit while he was talking. I was just, dear God, help him. And my spirit started groaning out. My spirit started crying out to God. God, what am I supposed to say to this guy? He's been attending church for six months. Like, and he still doubts. Like, uh, he's heard all my best messages. <laughs> he was here on Easter. That was like my salvation message for the year. Like, that was the best one I had. Like, what else can I share with him? Like, what's the other thing you want him to know? What, what's the thing you want to say to him, God? And, and as he was speaking and as I was praying, he got done and he says, what do you think? And I was like, I'm just going to open my mouth, see what comes out. Because I'm not sure. I, I, I didn't get it like an instant revelation, but I said, you know what? And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord put the story of, 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 of Jesus on, on the road to Emmaus with the two young men. And the two men were walking, and it says they were with him, and they heard all the things, but they still didn't know him. 
and they didn't know him until he broke bread. And when he broke bread, they recognized it was Jesus. and said, you've been coming to Vima for a while, and you've known about all these things. You're learning about all these things. You've been walking alongside Jesus. You've been hearing messages. You've been right beside him. I said, but until you have a revelation of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the breaking of bread is communion. The breaking of bread is, is he, until you come in conflict with, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? This is all gonna be just intellectual things that you're trying to learn and piece together. But the moment that Jesus broke the bread, they had a revelation because they said, oh, he's, he was, because they, the, the thing that they said to, to Jesus when they didn't know it was Jesus, they're like, we, had, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he, you know why they thought? Because they thought he was dead. But when they realized that he was alive, all of a sudden they recognized he's alive, he's risen, he is the Messiah. And I said, until you reconcile with the crucifixion, you're just gonna be gathering information. And I said, that's what I'm gonna pray for you right now. I'm gonna pray for you to, to have a reconciliation with the crucifixion. Because if everything is hinged off that. In fact, when Peter preaches in Acts 2, he preaches Christ crucified. And that is what stirred the hearts of people. And then what happened? They repented. Then what happened? They were baptized in water. And then what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. But it starts with that, 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 that moment of reconciliation of Christ. And so I said, I'm going to pray that, that, that you would have that interaction. I didn't walk in with that story. wasn't thinking about that story. hadn't thought about that story in months. The Holy Spirit led me to that. And I think he led me to that through praying in the Spirit. That was a gift of, that was, that was a word of wisdom and knowledge for him. It was, it was something I did not have, but the Holy Spirit operated outside of me. And I said, we're going to pray right now that you would have a reconciliation, a, a wreck with the crucifixion, that you would come in conflict with the crucifixion. And this morning, he raised his hand and said, I want to know Jesus. Come on, people. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So the gifts of the Spirit, I, I believe they're operating. And I, I don't, maybe I, I haven't talked about this enough as a church, but but I believe they're operating. I, I, in fact, on Sundays, messages I share, if you come to both services, you realize I share two different messages. If you ever watch the YouTube, you're like, that's not what he preached in the service I was at. Why? Because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to, to stir me, to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to know you intimately. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to connect God's spirit with your spirit in an intimate way. So here's the last question for us. How do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do I speak in tongues? If it's the tongues of angels, if it's God's language, if it's the heavenly language that connects my heart with His, I'm gonna give you four quick thoughts. First, we have to remove the barriers. What are the barriers? The barriers may be for you, past experiences. Maybe you're, you're interpreting the Holy Spirit through experiences and not through scripture. You may have to set aside, you may have to even pray a prayer. God, help me to see the Holy Spirit different than what I've seen and experienced before in my life. I was talking to someone this morning and they're like, we kind of grew up and we went to Pentecostal church for a couple weeks and we were there for a couple weeks and we we're like, we don't want anything to do with that. It kind of got weird on us. And we came in and said, the pastor was blowing on people and hitting people with his jackets. And it's like, we don't want anything to do with that. And they said, we've been here and we love it. And now you're teaching on it. And now we're like, we're like, we kind of, we kind of want to, we kind of want to know more. And we're not going to be here, but are you recording it? I said, yeah, I'm recording it. You'll be able to watch it later. But you know what they have to do for them, my friends, today? They're going to have to remove some barriers. They've had some experiences that are creating a perspective that may be not accurate with Scripture. The second thing we have to do is request the free gift. And in fact, this is found in Luke 11. Right here, I'm going to read this to you. It's not on, on, the, on the board today, but I'm going to read this to you. 
Jesus said, whatever the father, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a snake. My son likes to fish. Jaden, look up there. What would happen if it says, dad, let's go fishing? It's like, no, let's catch snakes. Actually, he would be excited. He likes snakes more than fish. But the idea is this, like if you give him something he didn't ask for, he says this, what happens if you ask for an egg and you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, so even even people, evil people, evil kings and evil rulers still give good gifts to their kids. Even people who've done ill things towards other people, they still love their kids. They may treat other people this way, but they have a different place in their heart for the kids. He says this, how much more will the heavenly father give, here's the good gift, the Holy Spirit. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I believe a way that we receive the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit is we just have to ask him. God, I want to know the Holy Spirit. Your word says that, that, that there's a, the ability to have this prayer language. God, I want that. Can I have that? Here's the third thing we have to do. We have to receive the free gift. It's not going to take you over to step of faith just like salvation. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's part of you being receptive to it. It's part of you saying, God, I want this. And then the last thing is just releasing your prayer language. Releasing your prayer language. Acts 2, 4 says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. They were filled and began. That first group of people never had anyone model it for them. No one said, here's what it should sound like. Who stole my Honda? (laughs) Here's what it should sound like. Lama Lama Sinki. You know, no one was like giving them any phrases or any, and I'm making light of something, but no one told them this is what it should sound like. This is what it should look like. They had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and the outcome was they spoke in tongues. They had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and the outcome was they were filled with power. They had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and that gift didn't just bless them. In fact, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He draws people to Jesus. And if anything, any interaction with the Holy Spirit ever pulls you away from Jesus, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are in unison. They're not working against each other. He's not the weird uncle and Jesus is the cool, the cool guy that walked on the earth, the cool rabbi that gave his life. They're in unison together. And so the Holy Spirit's always gonna help you know God better. In fact, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, perfect, whole, complete. We wanna know them all tonight.